We're eight Sundays, well, one in between when Colin was preaching, because I was away, um, on the series on the Holy Spirit. So far, we've looked at the person of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit according to Jesus, picking up particularly John chapters 14 to 17, and the, what Jesus himself said about the Holy Spirit, which I believe is truly foundational. You don't dive straight in the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit coming, you find out what Jesus said about him. Um, then receiving the Spirit, looking at the book of Acts and the book of book of Acts generally, being filled with the Spirit, particularly thinking of Ephesians 5, where it says, be being filled with the Spirit. It's not just, when will you fill with the Spirit? Fine, tick. No, be now, continually filled with the Spirit. Do I have to stand very still today? Uh, be filled with the Spirit. Then life in the Spirit, Romans 8, which is about dealing with uh, our human nature and with temptation and with trials and difficulties and you know, we can sing songs about, I'm more than an overcomer. Well, you've got a whole week to work that out before you sing it again. You know. It's the Holy Spirit who energizes us and equips us to overcome in life trials, difficulties, setbacks, disappointments, all of life, all of life through the Spirit. Then there are the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 11. I'll say a bit more about those in a moment. And then there's a whole chunk of... 1 Corinthians 12 from verse 12, right through chapter 13, the body of Christ and this primary motive of love. So today we're going to complete our visit to 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at one, uh, chapter 14, and that focuses particularly on prophecy. Um, the theme of care and concern and common good is, uh, was particularly strong in 1 Corinthians 13. Gifts without love are worthless and we should always, always value character above charisma, gift. And being gifted, or you know, like people like to say anointed, is no excuse for bad character and bad behavior. You can't often say, no, it doesn't matter because of that. No, no. Character always matters more than gift, charisma. The Holy Spirit gives his gifts to us so that we may serve one another in love. Now in chapter 14, Paul sets out practical guidelines for using those gifts of the Spirit to help and to build one another up in the body of Christ. And his focus here is on within the church. We'll come to beyond the church next week or the week after, don't worry. In this fellowship, or sharing together with saints. And he focuses on one gift in particular, prophecy. Let's read it through. Now, this is a long chapter, 40 verses, and I'm doing it all in one go. So take a deep breath. Uh, I, may, I may need some, uh, you know, uh, uh, fuel, fuel addition to kind of motor today. <laughs> ATP, they used to put in, I don't know, made a difference. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts or the things of the Spirit, gift is added, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue, speaks in an unknown language, which some of us were doing quite a bit this morning, does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries, or by the spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, which means building up, and exhortation, which is like pushing up, you know, and consolation, which means, you know, comforting and strengthening. One who speaks in a tongue edifies, builds up himself. The one who prophesies edifies, builds up the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. 
And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. At the start of 1 Corinthians 12, and again at the start of chapter 14, the word gifts is added by English translators. What Paul actually said was, desire earnestly the things of the Spirit. It's a Greek word that means the things of the Spirit. Now we're focusing on prophecy. Paul starts a running comparison and contrast between prophesying and speaking in tongues. They're not the same. Speaking in tongues is not speaking a prophecy in a language no one understands. They are different for different purposes. I want to show clearly what these scriptures teach us, for I found that actually many Pentecostals and Charismatics seem to ignore 1 Corinthians 12 and even 1 Corinthians 13. They just hang out in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12 and, and don't follow this thing through. They don't, and they certainly don't follow the practical instructions that Paul gives us here. Let's pick up some headlines so far. Tongues address God. They are words to God of praise, worship, and prayer. Tongues are Godward. They're addressed to him. Prophecy addresses men and women as words from God. The person who prophesies says, I believe the Lord is saying this for you to hear. Words from God to men and women. That's prophecy. But tongues are words to God. The interpretation of a public speaking out in tongues should therefore also be Godward. It doesn't switch into being a prophecy. The Lord wants to say this to you. No. This person is saying this to the Lord. That's what interpretation of tongues is. Yet an inspired tongue plus interpretation can be hugely building up and edifying. Just as when someone who is really filled with the Spirit prays, you go, wow, that was a prayer. Yeah? The same with an interpretation of tongues. I've, I've, I've told you before, I've been on my knees sobbing, like pouring down my face, being moved, totally moved by the power and the impact of an interpretation of tongues, which was totally Godward. All right? So I'm not, I'm not belittling it. I don't think Paul's belittling it. He'd be saying, but there's a difference between tongues and interpretation and prophesying. In prophesying, we speak words from God to men. The boundary of these gifts of words of prophecy are these. This is what Scripture says, New Testament, ordinary gift of prophecy, operating within the local church, not the role of a prophet, that's different, I'm not talking about this morning, but any one of us have feeling we have a word for, for people or for a whole group of people or for that meeting, these are the boundaries. Edification, exhortation, consolation. There's no predicting there. All right? It's exhortation, edification and consolation. In fact, uh, let me read a quote from Douglas Quay. He's a man I knew years and years ago. Wonderful, Assemblies of God pastor in Bedford. Prophecy is to edify the church, to build it up. It is to exhort believers, to stir them up, to encourage them, to comfort them. There is no thought of rebuke or causing distress. Rebuke or correction in the New Testament always comes through preaching, teaching, and the doctrine of the Word of God. You're corrected by Scripture and by people who teach and lead you bringing you scripture. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof. How do you know when you've been reproved? Because you feel a bit, oh, oh, I've been told something. You know, I remember someone being, telling me off one time and he was being so nice about it. He said, shall I take that as a rebuke? <laughs> he went, oh, I suppose it is. Well, it's okay if it is. You know, it's like, 
you know, if, if you need to tell me about something, tell, you, know, you, don't need to, you don't need to wrap it in cellophane you know, and with a bow on it. You know. um, all scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good word and work. And then Paul says to this Timothy that he's writing to, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living of the dead, by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. What's this young protege Paul got to do? He's to reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. How? By preaching the word. Not by wrapping it into prophecy. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, and he always calls it licked. <laughs> People having their ears licked. I think they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, whether it's by turning up to the conferences or watching them on God Channel. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Two weeks ago, I got a little ahead and gave you some of what I believe are the boundaries of New Testament prophesying. That is the gift or word of prophecy rather than the role of a prophet. There's a difference between having a word of prophecy on occasions by the Spirit and being one of those given by Christ to his church as a prophet, as a leadership role. And by the way, he also gives apostles and prophet, uh, evangelists and shepherds and teachers. When we prophesy, we're not carrying that responsibility or role. We're not another Isaiah or Hosea. We don't stand in that kind of authority, all right? So here's some headlines about prophecy. I want to get these clear before we go further. A word of prophecy must build up the body of Christ. It's not, it's not a demolition job. It must honor the Lord Jesus. Because if the, what is claimed to be said by the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit didn't say it. And we must not contradict, add to, or replace Scripture. Scripture is infinitely greater and more inspired than our prophesying. So don't, when people say, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord is Scripture. Prophecy is a word from the Lord. It's not the same. It doesn't have the same quality. Right? It's a word. And it could be a very temporary word just in that moment. It's not to be written down in the back of your Bible. as like, oh, I'm going to carry this around the rest of my life as well. We mustn't contradict, add to, or replace Scripture. You know, the, there are serious warnings at the end of Revelation about doing that. He who adds to or takes away from this word. All prophecies should be weighed, tested. Because we will be wrong at times. And we should offer prophetic words with humility. I, you know, is it okay if I say this to you? And, and you, you know, you tell me if it's okay. You know, there needs to be some measure of humility about when we bring words to people, particularly personal ones. Personal prophecies should be also carefully tested. If someone brings the word of God to you and you think, where did that come from? You better just park it and see if God says something to you about it as well from somewhere, somewhere else and someone else. Because generally speaking, someone bringing you a word, I feel I need to say this to you, should confirm what the Lord has already been saying to you. It should be confirmation. The Lord's already been chasing you about it. He's already been moving your heart about it. He's already been on the case. Prophecy can contain promise or warning. This could happen. Great. This might happen. Bad. But those are not unconditional. They're not fate. They are 
promises and warnings. We can gain promises and we can avoid the, the things that we were warned about. It must be received and acted upon in faith. These things are not unconditional. They're not fate. We live by faith, not by faith. Not even those who are prophets have the authority to decree and declare whatever they wish. Some of them get up there and say this and say that and say that. You don't have the authority to do Who do you think we are? We do not make things happen by our words. Only God does that. Predictive, foretelling prophesying is to be especially tested. All right? I'll, I'll put my neck on the line and say, it is rarely right. And because we don't hold people accountable for their prophesying, we let them get away with it. There's going to be an earthquake next week in so-and-so. It doesn't happen. We go, oh, okay, missed, missed that one. No, 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 hang on a minute. You, you, you put your, you, you know, you need to apologize. Yes? You need to apologize for getting it wrong. Have some humility. We can get it wrong. We don't stone you if you get it wrong. We're not going to stone anybody for a false prophecy. Right? But we need to admit when we get it wrong. Be adults. And accept responsibility. And love one another. So be wary, therefore, when prophesying or declaring prophecies, promises and predictions. Be careful. Know that you're stepping into something a bit beyond normal prophesying. I, I, I believe the wants to say this promise to you, you know, person or group of people. Or I, I, I kind of feel the Lord's telling me this is going to happen. But we'll, let's, just, let's just pray about that and see. Not, it's definitely going to happen because I prophesied it. Yeah. Grow up. We need to grow up in these things. Our words of prophecy are not covered by this scripture that people quote. Right? And I'm digging all kinds of trenches and planting all kinds of... Anyway. People quote this as being about our prophesying. It isn't. So will the word be which goes from my mouth. That's God's mind, not your mind. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. That scripture is about scripture. And of course the prophecies of Isaiah have become scripture. You can't apply that to my prophesying or your prophesying. Because, come back to 1 Corinthians 13, we know in part, we prophesy in part. There is mixture and mistake in our prophesying. Sometimes when we've got something good from the Lord, we get a lot of us in, mixed into it. We over-say it. He gave us this much to say, and we think, I'm enjoying this, so I'll say some more. We're just human. But it, we prophesy with mixture. And sometimes what we speak are not God's words in our mouth, but our words claiming to be His in our mouth. Now, this may not be how you've heard things before about this whole charismatic Pentecostal kind of way of we handle the gifts of the Spirit. But I'm just hopefully explaining Scripture to you. And I've already said this chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, is very neglected because it gives some practical instructions and I'm not sure everybody wants to hear them. So let's carry on. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Even lifeless things like a flute or a harp, when they're producing a sound, if they don't produce a distinction in the tones, you know, it's just blang, 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 there's no tune, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? 
If the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? That's an interesting thought there, because very often the words of prophecy come to us to, to, make, to help us to be worshipping warriors, to deal with something, to strengthen us in our battles. And the bugle needs to be clear, so we're prepared for the battle. So also you, unless you utter the, by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world. And I think that's where what speaking in tongues is about. It's speaking an unknown language, but it's still a human language. And no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be to the one who speaks a barbarian. Just think of the word foreigner, that's easy. And the one who speaks will be like a foreigner to me. So also, since you are zealous of the things of the Spirit, seek to abound for the edification of the church. It's good to be zealous, but be zealous not for the gift itself, but for the benefit it will bring to the people that you want to love and serve. Your brothers and sisters, the building up of the church. Let's go on. We've got a lot of scripture to get through. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Why? Because so his brothers and sisters get help and encouraged. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. And Paul there does say, my spirit prays. It's something happening from in here, from me. But my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit. Now I think this is now the Holy Spirit. And I will pray with the mind also. I'm going to pray with things, words I don't understand, but I'm going to pray with words I do understand. And sometimes praying in tongues and praying with the spirit gives you inspiration to pray in your normal language. There's a, there's a kind of foldback, feedback kind of thing. That Oh, I feel, I feel I need to pray about this now. Yeah? You're inspired by the Spirit because you've been accessing His presence and, help, and, and relying upon Him and speaking in tongues. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, meaning in tongues... How will the one who fills the place of the ungifted, they don't know about these gifts of the Spirit, they don't understand this thing, say the Amen at your giving of thanks, since he doesn't know what you're saying. For you're giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified, he's not build, built up. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Now he's just said, I'm not going to come and speak in tongues to you, I'm going to come and prophesy and teach you. But he says, I speak it. When did he do that then? And he thought, when did Paul do that? If he wasn't intending to do that a lot in public. In his private times. In his times of prayer. Personal worship. Got it? There's a contrast now between public and private. You can do something a lot in private, you don't do in public. Including speaking in tongues. However, in the church, in the gathering, in the meeting, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. In the spirit there, it says, we pray, we sing, we bless. And we can do those things publicly together 
But also we can do those things privately, just all on our own. We can use speaking in tongues to pray to God, to sing to God, and to bless God. And he said, sometimes there's a kind of feedback on that, that when you do so, you, you get inspired in your intellect, in your mind, in your soul. So you're able then to pray with some meaning or worship some more. You, you, script, songs come to mind, scriptures come to mind, and you carry on praying, singing, and blessing the Lord. Paul contrasts speaking in tongues personally and doing so publicly. In a public setting, gathering together, everything should be done for the common good, for the building up of one another. In private, when you speak in tongues, you're building yourself up in your most holy faith, to quote Jude. The entry point, though, to all of the gifts and work of the Spirit is that you have received the Spirit and are being filled with the Spirit. And I believe speaking in tongues is a gateway. This is what I want to say to you. In the moment when you sense the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and you trust Him and you open your mouth and you begin to speak trusting that He will give you what you're about to say which will be unknown to you and not understandable to you, you are making a step of faith that you rely upon Him. It's a gateway. Because every time after that the Holy Spirit wants to do anything with you or through you to help, to help others, you go to that same gateway of faith and you've got to do the same thing again. You're looking to the Holy Spirit and trusting Him. You sense He's got something and you've got to say, okay, Holy Spirit, give it to me. Here I go. It's like that. Like, here I go. Maybe even in terms of a word of prophecy, you say, I believe the Lord is wanting to say this. And you begin to say, the, you've got three words. You begin to say the three words. It's a gateway of faith. And that's why speaking in tongues is a gateway of faith that opens up the rest of the gifts of the Spirit. Because when, until we learn to go walk through that gateway, we, we're not going to access the others. We, we haven't learned how to rely upon Him. And relying upon Him takes us to a whole measure of things that goes way beyond what we could do. It's a gateway of faith. It's a process of faith. Notice three things we do there. We pray, we sing, we bless. They're ways of addressing the Lord. Um, let's move on. This is a further call to maturity. We, we had it in 1 Corinthians 12, second half of 1 Corinthians 12. We had it in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I played like a kid, and when it became a man, it's time to put away childish things. Same thought. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Silly, selfish, self-centered. Yet in evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be mature. That's in the context of using these gifts of the Spirit. Be mature. Be grown up. Recognize what these are for. They're for building up. They're for the common good. They're for God to deliver grace to his children. We are called to take a mature view of the things of the Spirit. Spirit. Not selfish, but serving. Seeking the good of others, honoring the Lord. The gifts of the, thing, the things of the Spirit are for our equipping and edification. They're not for our entertainment. 
Now further, Paul says, tongues and prophecy are signs. Signs. You know a sign? You read the sign and you go, okay, it's this way. You think, here's a sign. Wow, look at the sign. You know? The sign is to get you somewhere. In the law it is written, by the men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Uh, it's interesting. We've got to think about this. I told you 1 Corinthians 14 is very neglected. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Let's unpack it. Paul goes there. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and the ungifted man, someone who doesn't understand these things of the Spirit, that's what ungifted means, or unbelievers, they're not even Christians yet, enter, will they not say that you're mad? Well, they might not say it, but they'll think it, and they won't stay around. But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he's hearing all this, God's speaking to these people. God's speaking in this gathering. He's convicted by all. He's held to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. Oh, how often through a word of prophecy given to a whole bunch of people, one person, or maybe, maybe just one person in that gathering, the secrets of the heart are disclosed. It's like the searchlight just fell on them. And no one, no one else knows. But the Spirit of God is... Sorry, Chris. <laughs> because a word that was said to a whole gathering of people, the Holy Spirit knew had an impact for that person specifically in particular. It may have had a general fit to everybody else, but they know God spoken to. So he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Tongues are assigned to unbelievers. That's what Scripture says. Particularly in a city of people with many cultures and languages. I've said the other week, the Holy Spirit may inspire someone to speak out in a language known to a visitor in that church gathering. It happened in Acts 2. They, people heard their own languages. And I, I've certainly heard people speak in languages which I know a little of. And I've had accounts of people hearing someone speak Urdu, Mandarin, uh, uh, whatever language they speak in, some little South Island, I can't remember right at the moment, but you know, they've heard their language. I think it was Tahitian or something like that, Tahitian. Uh, you know, that person in that meeting, kind of just around, maybe I'm getting interested in this kind of Christianity thing, and they hear their own language being spoken. And then they realize this person couldn't possibly know that language. It's a sign. But if all that happens in a meeting is everybody speaks in tongues just about all the time, what can a visitor gather from that? What can they receive? And what do the Christians themselves take away from it? Prophecy, however, speaks the words of God to men in the common language. And a visitor, whether an unbeliever or a believer, has not experienced these things of the Spirit. Here's God speaking to people through people. They may even hear something that directly affects them. That person's convicted that God is present amongst the spirit-filled, spirit-inspired, spirit-enabled Christian. The voice of God, albeit it's through the voice of people, among the children of God is a sign of God's presence and reality and of his concern and care for us as people. God is speaking and he's speaking words of grace. 
was strengthening. Now Paul sets out practical guidelines for the operations of these gifts in a Christian meeting. All right? These instructions come to us as Scripture. They are the word of the Spirit, written down by his inspiration. Yet these are pretty much ignored or overruled by many Pentecostal charismatic people. Because they say, oh, yeah, but if we did that, that would stifle the Spirit. Well, the Spirit wrote this, didn't he? By what authority are we going to change what he's already said? There's divine wisdom here. There's, there's, there's things written in this chapter for our safety, our security. It's wisdom. Application. What is the outcome then, brothers? When you assemble, come together, small group, prayer group, whatever size of gathering it is. Each one has a psalm, a song, generally a song. Could be a psalm from the psalms, could be a hymn, could be a chorus. Yeah, a psalm. Has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Those are the things that more generally get shared, you know, rather than gifts of healings and working as, uh, work, works of power or whatever. Let all things be done for edification, for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, that is not just privately, that is not just kind of in amongst the worship, that's, so everybody has to listen to you. It's speaking out in a tongue. So everybody's now listening to you, you know, saying this thing to the Lord in an unknown language. Remember, it's Godward. You're praying, blessing, singing to him. If anyone speaks out, in other words, in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three. Wow. And each in turn. And one person must interpret. Now, I, I take that as being one person should interpret that tongue. Maybe someone else would interpret another tongue. But every tongue receives an interpretation, one. But those contributions should be in any gathering, two or at the most three. Not everybody gets to go. Now that's interesting, isn't it? How many of you have ever really noticed that in Scripture? Come on, be honest with me. Ever seen two or at the most three? Wow. If there's no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church. Let him speak to himself and God. Yeah? Not speaking out to the church, but he's, he's just carrying on with, between himself and the Lord. Let two or three prophets speak. This is not the role of a prophet. It's just simply those who prophesy in this particular context. And let the others pass judgment. Ten. Seven. No, not that kind of judgment. Let them weigh it and say, I really believe God's saying something to us there. We've got to get a hold of that one. We need to respond to that one. Even now we need to respond to that one. It's weighed and tested. And if it's, and if it's really solid and really good, we're going to do something with it. Let the others pass judgment. That's other prophetic people. Those who, underst those who understand these things. They understand how the Holy Spirit works. If a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. Well, do you know why? Because probably he's been going on too long. He's been over-saying it. And it's time to hear another bit rather than just hear him saying the same thing again. That's kind of generally how it works. You know, the person's got this word and they're kind of going with it, going with it. And that's the point at which they need to, you know, the coattails pulled. And, 
I was in a meeting once when I was at Bible college and the preacher was going on and on and on. My Bible college priest, I was sitting next to my Bible college priest, and he kept leaning forward to kind of grab the guy's jacket and he kept missing it. I mean, there were about five of us on the platform. We were falling, we were in stitches. Went on for minutes, long minutes, just trying to grab this guy's coat and say, you've done enough now. We can over-prophesy. We can get into it and we're enjoying it. And we're over-saying it, over-saying it. And at that point, this person needs to move it along to the next thing. I told you we're only human, didn't I? Mixture, measure, mistakes. For you can all prophesy one by one. Well, that sounds like a long meeting. No, we're still, two or three still applies. But in the course of time, within a particular local church, there's no reason, if we're filled with the Spirit, why every one of us could not prophesy it sometimes. We couldn't all be doing it sometimes. Yeah? So that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. Meaning, you are in control of this. Do not say, I couldn't help it, the Lord made me. That's the Bart Simpson, isn't it? Except here with him is the devil. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. No, 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 no. We are responsible, even when we are being you know, inspired by the Spirit, to, to how we handle ourselves. See, if you're just a robot and you're out of control, that's scary, man. You're possessed. The Holy Spirit doesn't possess us in that sense that he takes away all our faculties and all our responsibility. He equips us. You have to choose to speak in tongues. You have to choose to cooperate and bring these words that he's given you in prophecy. The spirit of prophets are subject to the prophets. Therefore, they are responsible and they are accountable. And you don't just blame God for something. That you, you, you were a party to. You, you, you took responsibility for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now I've got to whip down my notes down here. On the subject of uh, words to be judged, because I've got ahead of myself, good. Prophetic words are to be judged, to be weighed. Here it is again in 1 Thessalonians. Do not quench the spirit. Don't think, we're not having any of that. No, no, we're not having any of that. Not helpful to us. No, no, no. no, no. Paul's encouraging, but saying... Two are at the most three. I don't know about you, but if, if, if everybody gets up and says one thing after another, by number four or five, I go, ah. I can't remember the first ones. It's too much input. This is biblical wisdom. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Don't ban it, in other words, as well. But examine Test, approve everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good in prophecy. If it's, if it's a bit lightweight, let it, let it drift away. But if it's got some solidity in it, it's got some impact in it, know that you need to respond to it. Prophecy, we've already said, we're not into faith, we're into faith. Because you've received a word of prophecy, it doesn't mean, that's it, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. No, how do we respond to this? Hebrews talks about by faith they inherited promises. You think, the promise, the promise, the promise. Yes, but by faith you've got to inherit the promise. You know, there's a response on our part that, that says, yes, Lord, how do, I corris- how do I respond to this? How do I move towards it? How, where do my feet need to go in steps of faith so that I may, know, that I may receive the thing you've talked to me about? 
Always, always, always there is faith and obedience to receive and inherit what God has said. But people make it sound like, I've prophesied it to you, you just need to believe it and it's going to happen. Hallelujah. Prophecy is not unconditional like that. It doesn't work like that. It offers opportunities for faith. <coughs> Examine, test, approve everything. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Those who prophesy are responsible for their words. Um, I'm going to move on down. Oh, yes, because we've got this one. Oh, dear. Now I'm walking into the minefield. Gender issues. How many of you know that there are scriptures that clearly speak about gender issues? Not popular, is it? It's just Paul writing now here. The women are to keep silent in the churches. They're not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in the church. Here's another passage similar from 1 Timothy. I'll take the two together so we compare Scripture with Scripture. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. And because there are no chapters and verses in the original, it goes straight on, Paul then talks about it. And it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. And then he talks about the role of the, of the, of the leader, an overseer, it's the same word as bishop, actually. An elder is a bishop. That's, that's the way it was. And we've now made these complicated systems of church government. But in New Testament times, an elder, a bishop, an overseer, a shepherd, one person, same thing. And about that man's wife and her character. And it talks about deacons. and Perhaps it talks about lady deacons. Go back a bit. The same Apostle Paul issuing gender-specific instructions. Our generation now seems to me to have moved on from pursuing gender equality to gender eradication. Let's not have any gender. But I take my stand upon the Scriptures as I receive them and understand them plainly. It is this. This is my statement. Men and women are equal in value and dignity, equal as redeemed beings under the new covenant yet are still different in role. Paul has written elsewhere in Corinthians and elsewhere in Scriptures that women should pray in our meetings. We know that Philip, the evangelist, had four daughters who prophesied. So there is not a Bible ban on female participation in the body of Christ and the works of the Holy Spirit. So what is this restriction about in 1 Corinthians and in 1 Timothy 2? as it seems to me, it is that women should not challenge what is being taught or declared in the gathering. They can raise any issues or concerns with or through their husbands. And the further instruction in 1 Timothy 2 is that leading and teaching men, and therefore the whole church, including the men, is not appropriate to a woman. Woman 
Women should not teach or govern men in the church. And I don't think the Bible is necessarily saying anything there about beyond the church. I'm just applying it to where the context is. Paul gives firstly a creational reason. Adam was created before Eve. And then connected with that, the, the fall as well, he was responsible for Eve. God held Adam responsible for Eve. You can read in Genesis 3. Eve was not responsible and accountable for Adam, but he was responsible for her. Eve was deceived, Adam was not. Having made the statements of 1 Timothy 2, 13, 11 to 15, Paul goes on immediately to set out the standards required for overseas and church of God, and those gender-specific instructions are further built upon there. Now against this scriptural background, as I see it, some say, but that is not what the Lord did, or the Holy Spirit did with this particular lady, and so on. Well, I have a problem with that argument. So we're going to set aside his word, which is his word. It's the word of the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of truth. And we're going to allow experience to judge and overcome Scripture. I can't do that. I can't go there. I must stay with Scripture. I must see that we shape things according to Scripture. So that's the gender-specific instructions there. It's not, ladies, you can't say anything. It's that you can't push in to the teaching thing. You know, bring correction to it. Bring adjustment to it. There's a way of, if you think it's wrong, there's a way of raising that. Ask your husband, through your husband, ask the question. Or, you know, ask, ask one of the elders to explain more to you. But there isn't, you can't, you, you, you know, a, a voice raised in the meeting challenging the, the teaching is not appropriate. That's what Paul's saying. And in Timothy, it's not appropriate for a woman to lead and to teach men. Uh, now, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a minority even with, within Elam on that one, I have to be honest. But that's where I stand. And so long as I'm senior pastor here, that's the, that's the values we'll, we'll work by in this church. There are gender-specific roles which doesn't diminish our value, our dignity, in Christ Jesus, in redemption, there is neither male nor female. Yet those same, the p- same person who wrote that talks in his letters about gender-specific roles. Having established we are equal, there is still, nevertheless, difference. All right. Conclusion. What is it? Now, it's as if Paul's expecting some fight back against what he's been writing, whether it's the gender-specific or the two or three, whatever else. He's expecting some people to resist this practical teaching. So here he is. He's, like Paul's very wise. He's always, he always knows what's going to be said. He always knows what, what someone's going to object. So he deals with it. Here, was it from you that the word of God went, first went forth? Or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, having the spirit, that is, Let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. These are not suggestions. They're serious instructions. They are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. All that we've just read and considered are not merely Paul's advice. They are the Lord's commandments. And no claim to prophetic revelation or word or spiritual experience should overturn what the Lord has recorded here for us. You can't outweigh it by saying, yeah, I know all that, but the Lord showed me. Uh -uh. Not accepted. 
impermissible. That evidence is not to be brought to this court. Because scripture outweighs our experience. What about you? I'm still wanting to live up to this, what this word says. You know, in terms of the grace of God and life in the spirit and living one life, one whole life that glorifies God in every way. I'm still hungry and aspiring to, full, to, to live into the word of God. Here's the last two scriptures. Therefore, my brothers, desire earnestly to prophesy. Do not forbid to speak in tongues, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. Praise, worship, prayer are important. Tongues and interpretation tongues play a part in the prayer, worship and prayer, praise. That's their context, their Godward. So within our prayer, worship and praise, if someone speaks under tongues, someone interprets, it adds into that prayer, worship, praise, blessing, singing. Thing. Preaching and teaching are important. Words of prophecy are important. Participation together is important. There should be in our times together inspiration and spontaneity, yet it doesn't become chaos. It doesn't become a free-for-all. There's still some limits about how, what, we, what prophecy is about and how many we, we have before we move on and, and, and respond to that or, pro- or spend some more time in worship or prayer. But in all of this, our motivation, and that, of course, was the key thing in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, down to the end of chapter 13. The key thing there is our motivation. Do we have a mature mind, or let me even say heart, about these things. Let me talk to you for the last few minutes before we break bread about the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is not whether it's you or I or someone else who prophesies. It's whether we together, as brothers and sisters, are being helped and built up in our faith in Christ. We are to earnestly desire to prophesy so that my friends, my brothers and sisters, may receive faith, hope, love from God through those words. Those three values that Paul says, you know, last forever, faith, hope, love, the greatest of these is love. It's that those things, call them one word, call them grace. Grace is received because someone prophesied. Paul has said out the words of prophecy bring us the immediate help of God. They are a sign of his presence with us and among us. And people who are ungifted or, or, or unconverted, they go, wow, God's present amongst these people. But it, the sign is great, but the sign isn't the big deal. It's the fact that grace is received from heaven through this work of the Spirit. As we with a heart of love and compassion and concern, want to see one another built up, encouraged, strengthened. When I was explaining things to people last Sunday, there was a phrase that came to mind, and it's been with me all week. I want this phrase to... I'm not into getting tattoos, but this would be a good one. (laughs) Just so I I put it somewhere I'll never forget. So the whole teaching about the things of the Spirit is this, this phrase, help from heaven. Help from heaven. 
the Holy Spirit equipping us to do something that serves others and helps one another that we could never do without him. We couldn't do that. But he enables us to do it so that people are helped. It's help from heaven, folks. Beyond our human ability and resources, my head, my heart, my hands, God the Holy Spirit gives us at times something from the mind and the heart and the hand of God himself by which others are helped or healed or encouraged or delivered or, or, or built, just built up. The love and grace of God is being communicated to others as we seek to serve them in love and as the Holy supplies us with gifts which are, naturally speaking, beyond us. Why would we not earnestly desire and seek this help from heaven? The things of the Spirit. I know what I forgot to do earlier on. forgot to say some prayers. I wanted us to pray for Chris Elwes, who was in hospital this week. He went into A&E. He's back home now recovering. They still don't know what it is, but it's, it's troubling. It's chest pains and other symptoms. But he phoned me this morning to say he's much better. He's so grateful for our prayers and our support. So I wanted to pray for Chris. But you see, what do I want for Chris? What can I do for Chris? I can pray. But what am, why am I praying? What am I praying for? I'm praying for help from heaven. It is not my prayer that fixes the thing. It's what God does in response to our prayer. Help from heaven. Every healing, a gift from heaven. Every word of prophecy, a gift from heaven. Every moment of extraordinary faith to meet an extraordinary situation, a gift from heaven. And it's not about me. It's not so, oh, I got another one. (laughs) Foolish, childish, David. It's so that God is glorified and his people are built up. They're healed, they're restored, they're picked up, they're pushed up. You know, told you edification is building up and and exaltation is pushing or pulling up. Come on, come on, get up. That's what we did earlier on, except I made you do it to yourself. Exaltation, come on. Like David talked to his soul, come on soul, arise, wake up. Exhortation. Why would we be eager for the things of spirit so that we may know a continual flow of help from heaven? Beyond our human resources, doing things we could not do, knowing things we could not know, saying words we would not think to say. That's why we need to be eager. In fact, the verse we just read says it all, really. The first verse. Pursue love, number one. Motive, character, atmosphere, household flavor. Pursue love. Yet earnestly desire the things of the Spirit. But especially, especially that you may prophesy. Why? Because Prophecy delivers the words of God through human mouths to other human people so that they know God has spoken to them and they are receiving something from him, from his mind, from his heart, from his hand that helps them, that builds them up, that pulls them up, that strengthens them. Wouldn't we all want to do that? See, that's, that's, the, that's the encouragement of this scripture. Pursue love. Be so concerned for your brothers and sisters that you think, well, 
I'll do anything to help them. We'll seek the Lord for help from heaven. I'm not saying don't do what's in your power as well. But listen, how many of you ever get frustrated? I can't fix that. I can't do anything about that. But we can receive help from heaven. That's the possibility. If we love one another, we'd be eager for these things. We'd be eager for these things. I want to encourage you to seek. If you haven't received the Spirit and know that breakthrough of speaking in tongues, because it is a, a gateway breakthrough thing. I described that to you earlier. To do that, seek Him. Seek Him. The rest of us who know what it is to be filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues, we, the Scripture doesn't let us off the hook. You know, this is not a, a date in your diary. You know, annual anniversary of when I first spoke in tongues. You know, fifteenth of May. What you know? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I did it. Be filled with the Spirit. You know, when, a, when someone says to you, are oh, you filled with the Spirit? He doesn't want a history lesson. He wants to know about today. Yeah? Be filled with the Spirit. And be filled with the Spirit looking for how He may help you with little momentary inspirations, gifts that come from Him so that you can serve and help your brothers and sisters. Now in a week or two's time, I'm going to talk about how all of this works, not only in church, but out there. Same thing. Same gifts. Same Holy Spirit. Same Lord Jesus. But today, we're talking about within the body of Christ. Why? Because it's always been my conviction that the things we truly learn together as brothers and sisters, and they become part of us, part of our character, part of the way we conduct ourselves. If we will stay whole, if we'll stay unified, we don't parcel out life and say, that's me, church, and Christian, but over here I'm just this at work. If we will be the same person at work that we are when we're at church, the kingdom of God will start to operate. In that home, in that family, in that workplace, Anyway, I'm, I'm preaching next week's sermon, and I've got to stop. Today, we learn these things. We're schooled in them. We learn the heart of them. We learn how to step through that gateway of faith again and again, trusting the Holy Spirit. And when we get it wrong, hey, we smile and say, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. And everybody forgives us, because we're all human. But we don't hype it up. We don't claim things which aren't true. We don't boast about things which don't need boasting about. Be mature. Be caring. Be full of love and concern. And seek earnestly for those things which will most help your brother, your sister, or a whole meeting, a whole congregation. Help from heaven. Amen. Father, we submit ourselves to you. You have far more that you would do with us if we would get out of the way and stop wanting to be so self-important and concerned about our appearance and our status. You could do some extraordinary things. If we were more motivated by concern for others than, than, than our image, you, you might do something quite remarkable. So I pray that you will help us, Lord, and tune our hearts Make us eager, not 
to just see something like a sign, like something that impresses us, but that we are eager for people to be truly helped by your power and your grace and your heart and your wisdom. And we're open to you, Lord. We're open to you that you will give us from time to time and moment to moment things that we could not have except their gifts from heaven through the Holy Spirit. The help of God, delivered by the hands and the hearts and the voices of men and women. We honor you, Lord. We honor you. To you be all the glory. Jesus must be honored in all of these things. It's never about us. It's never about our name. It's your name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.